Chapter 16 of Linda Tressel by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 16 Throughout February, Linda never flinched. She hardly spoke at all except on matters of household business, but to them she was sedulously attentive. She herself insisted on understanding what legal arrangement was made about the house, and would not consent to sign the necessary document preparatory to her marriage, till there was inserted in it a clause giving to her aunt a certain life interest in the property in the event either of her marriage or of her death. Peter did his best to oppose this, as did Madame Starbuck herself, but Linda prevailed, and the clause was there. "'She would have to live with you whether or no,' said Hermog to the town clerk. "'You couldn't turn the woman out into the street.' But Peter wished to be master of his own house, and would not give up the point till much eloquence and authority had been used. He had come to wish with all his heart that he had never seen Linda Tressel or the Red House, but he had gone so far that he could not retract. Linda never flinched, never uttered a word of complaint, sat silent while Peter was smoking, and awaited her doom. Once her aunt spoke to her about her feelings as a bride. "'You do love him, do you not, Linda?' said Madame Starbuck. "'I do not love him,' Linda had replied. Then Madame Starbuck dared to ask no further question, but prayed that the necessary affection might be given. There were various things to be bought, and money for the purpose was in a moderate degree forthcoming. Madame Starbuck possessed a small hoard, which was now to be spent, and something she raised on her own little property.' A portion of this was entrusted wholly to Linda, and she exercised care and discretion in its disposition. Linen for the house she purchased, and things needed for the rooms and the kitchen. But she would expend nothing in clothes for herself. When pressed on the subject by her aunt, she declared that her marriage would be one that required no finery. Her own condition and that of her proposed husband, she said, made it quite unnecessary. When she was told that Steinmark would be offended by such exaggerated simplicity, she turned upon her aunt with such a look of scorn that Madame Starbuck did not dare to say another word. Indeed, at this time Madame Starbuck had become almost afraid of her niece, and would sit watching the silent, stern industry of the younger woman with something of awe. Could it be that there ever came over her heart a shock of regret for the thing she was doing? Was it possible that she should already be feeling remorse? If it was so with her, she turned herself to prayer, and believed that the Lord told her that she was right. But there were others who watched, and spoke among themselves, and felt that the silent solemnity of Linda's mode of life was a cause for trembling. Max Bogan's wife had come to her father's house, and had seen Linda, and had talked to Tetchen, and had said at home that Linda was mad. Her father had become frightened and had refused to take any part in the matter. He acknowledged that he had given his advice in favour of the marriage, but he had done this merely as a matter of course, to oblige his neighbour, Madame Stauback. He would have nothing more to do with it. When Fanny told him that she feared that Linda would lose her senses, he went into his workshop and busied himself with a great chair. But Tetchen was not so reticent. Tetchen said much to Madame Stauback so much that the unfortunate widow was nearly always on her knees, asking for help, asking in very truth for new gifts of obstinate persistency. 
and Tetchen also said much to Fanny Bogan. "'But what can we do, Tetchen?' asked Fanny. "'If I had my will,' said Tetchen, "'I would so handle him that he would be glad enough to be off his bargain. "'But you'll see they never live together as man and wife, never for a day.' "'They who said that Linda was mad at this time were probably half right. "'But if so, her madness had shown itself in none of those forms "'which are held to justify interference by authority. "'There was no one in Nuremberg who could lock a woman up because she was silent, "'or could declare her to be unfit for marriage because she refused to buy wedding clothes.' The marriage must go on. Linda herself felt that it must be accomplished. Her silence and her sternness were not now consciously used by her as means of opposing or delaying the coming ceremony, but simply betrayed the state of mind to which she was reduced. She counted the days, and she counted the hours, as a criminal counts them who sits in his cell and waits for the executioner. She knew, she thought she knew, that she would stand in the church and have her hand put into that of Peter Steinmark, but what might happen after that she did not know. She would stand at the altar and have her hand put into that of Peter Steinmark, and she would be called his wife in sight of God and man. She spent hours in solitude attempting to realise the position with all its horrors. She never devoted a minute to the task of reconciling herself to it. She did not make one slightest endeavour towards teaching herself that, after all, it might be possible for her to live with the man as his companion in peace and quietness. She hated him with all the vigour of her heart, and she would hate him to the end. On that subject, no advice, no prayer, no grace from heaven could be of service to her. Satan, with all the horrors of hell, as they had been described to her, was preferable to the companionship of Peter Steinmark. And yet she went on, without flinching. She went on without flinching till the night of the 10th of March. Up to that time, from the day on which she had last consented to her martyrdom, no idea of escape had occurred to her. As she left her aunt on that evening, Madame Starbuck spoke to her. "'You should at any rate pray for him,' said Madame Starbuck. "'I hope that you pray that this marriage may be for his welfare.' "'How could she pray for him?' and how could she utter such a prayer as that? But she tried, and as she tried, she reflected that the curse to him would be as great as it was to her. Not only was she to be sacrificed, but the miserable man was bringing himself also to utter wretchedness. Unless she could die, there would be no escape for him, as also there would be none for her. That she should speak to him, touch him, hold intercourse with him, was, she now told herself, out of the question. She might be his servant, if he would allow her to be so at a distance, but nothing more. Or it might be possible that she should be his murderess. A woman who has been taught by her religion that she is, and must be, a child of the evil one, may become guilty of what most terrible crime you please, without much increase of damage to her own cause, without much damage according to her own views of life and death. Linda, as she thought of it in her own chamber, with her eyes wide open, looking into the dark night from out of her window, declared to herself that in certain circumstances she would certainly attempt to kill him. She shuddered and shook, till she almost fell from her chair. Come what night, she would not endure the pressure of his caress. 
Then she got up and resolved that she would even yet make one other struggle to escape. It would not be true of her to say that at this moment she was mad, but the mixed excitement and terror of her position as she was waiting her doom, joined to her fears, her doubts, and worse than all, her certainties as to her condition in the sight of God, had almost unstrung her mind. She had almost come to believe that the world was at its end. The punishment of which she had heard so much was already upon her. If this is to be a doom for ever, she said to herself, the God I have striven to love is very cruel. But then there came an exercise of reason which told her that it could not be a doom for ever. It was clear to her that there was much as yet within her own power which could certainly not be so in that abode of the unblessed to which she was to be summoned. There was the window before her, with the silent river running below, and she knew that she could throw herself from it if she chose to put forth the power which she still possessed. She felt that she herself might her quietus make with a bare bodkin. Why should she, fardels bare to grunt and sweat under a weary life, but that the dread of something after life, the undiscovered country from whose bourne no traveller returns, puzzles the will, and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of. Linda knew nothing of Hamlet, but the thought was there, exact, and the knowledge that some sort of choice was still open to her, if it were only the choice of sending herself at once to a world different from this, a world in which Peter Steinmark would not be the avenger of her life's wickedness, made her aware that even yet something might be done. On the following morning she was in the kitchen, as was usual with her now, at an early hour, and made the coffee for her aunt's breakfast, and for Peter's. Tetchen was there also, and to Tetchen she spoke a word or two in good humour. Tetchen said afterwards that she knew that something was to happen, because Linda's manner to her had been completely changed that morning. She sat down with her aunt at eight, and ate a morsel of bread, and endeavoured to swallow her coffee. She was thinking at the time that it might be the case that she would never see her aunt again. All the suffering that she had endured at Madame Starbeck's hands had never quenched her love. Miserable as she had been made by the manner in which this woman had executed the trust which circumstances had placed in her hands, Linda had hardly blamed her aunt, even within her own bosom. When, with a frenzy of agony, Madame Starbeck would repeat prayer after prayer, extending her hands towards heaven, and seeking to obtain that which she desired by the painful intensity of her own faith. It had never occurred to Linda that in such proceedings she was ill-treated by her aunt. Her aunt, she thought, had ever shown to her all that love which her mother has for her child, and Linda, in her misery, was never ungrateful. As soon as the meal was finished, she put on her hat and cloak, which she had brought down from her room, and then kissed her aunt. "'God bless you, my child,' said Madame Starbeck, "'and enable you to be an affectionate and dutiful wife to your husband.' Then Linda went forth from the room and from the house, and as she went she cast her eyes around, thinking that it might be possible that she should never see them again. Linda told no lie as she left her aunt, but she felt that she was acting a lie. It had been arranged between them, before she had entertained this thought of escaping from Nuremberg, that she should on this morning go out by herself and make certain purchases. In spite of the things that had been done, of Valcombe's visit to the upper stories of the house, of the flight to Augsburg, of Linda's long, protracted obstinacy and persistently expressed hatred for the man who was to be her husband, Madame Starbeck 
still trusted her niece. She trusted Linda perhaps the more at this time, from a feeling that she had exacted so much from the girl. When, therefore, Linda kissed her and went out, she had no suspicion on her mind, nor was any aroused till the usual dinner-hour was past, and Linda was still absent. When Tetchen at one o'clock said something of her wonder that the Fräulein had not returned, Madame Starbuck suggested that she might be with her friend, her Molk. Tetchen knew what was the warmth of that friendship, and thought that such a visit was not probable. At three o'clock the postman brought a letter, which Linda herself had dropped into the box at the post-office that morning, soon after leaving the house. She had known when, in the ordinary course, it would be delivered. Should it lead by any misfortune to her discovery before she could escape, that she could not help. Even that, accompanied by her capture, would be as good a mode as any other of telling her aunt the truth. The letter was as follows. Thursday night. Dearest aunt, I think you hardly know what are my sufferings. I truly believe that I have deserved them, but nevertheless they are insupportable. I cannot marry Peter Steinmark. I have tried it, and cannot. The day is very near now, but were it to come nearer, I should go mad, or I should kill myself. I think that you do not know what the feeling is that has made me the most wretched of women since the marriage was first proposed to me. I shall go away to-morrow, and shall try to get to my uncle's house in Cologne. It is a long way off, and perhaps I shall never get there. But if I am to die on the road, oh, how much better will that be? I do not want to live. I have made you unhappy, and everybody unhappy, but I do not think that anybody has been so unhappy as I am. I shall give you a kiss as I go out, and you will think that it was the kiss of Judas. But I am not a Judas in my heart. Dear Aunt Charlotte, I would have borne it if I could. Your affectionate but undutiful niece, Linda Tressel. Undutiful! So she called herself, but had she not in truth paid duty to her aunt beyond that which one human being can in any case owe to another? Are we to believe that the very soul of the offspring is to be at the disposition of the parent? Poor Linda! Madame Starbuck, when the letter was handed to her by Tetchen, sat aghast for a while, motionless, with her hands before her. "'She's off again, I suppose,' said Tetchen. "'Yes, she is gone.' "'Serves you right. I say it now, and I will say it. Why was she so driven?' Madame Starbuck said never a word. Could she have had Linda back at the instant, just now, at this very moment? She would have yielded. It was beginning to become apparent to her that God did not intend that her prayers should be successful. Doubtless the fault was with herself. She had lacked faith. Then, as she sat there, she began to reflect that it might be that she herself was not of the elect. What if, after all, she had been wrong throughout? "'Is anything to be done?' said Tetchen, who was still standing by her side. "'What ought I to do, Tetchen?' "'Ring Peter Steinmark's neck,' said Tetchen. "'That would be the best thing.' Even this did not bring forth an angry retort from Madame Staubach. About an hour after that, Peter came in. He had already heard that the bird had flown. Some messenger from Jacob Heiser's house had brought him the tidings to the town hall. "'What is this?' said he. "'What is this? She's gone again.' "'Yes,' said Tetchen. "'She's gone again. What did you expect?' "'And Ludovic Valcarm is with her?' 
Ludovic Valcombe is not with her, said Madame Starbuck, with an expression of wrath which made him start a foot back from where he stood. Ah, he exclaimed, when he recovered himself and reflected that he had no cause for fear. She is no better than she should be. She's ten times too good for you. That is all that is the matter with her, said Tetchen. I have done with her. have done with her altogether, said Peter, rubbing his hands together. I should think you have, said Tetchen. Tell him to leave me, said Madame Starbuck, waving Peter away with her hand. Then Tetchen took the town clerk by his arm, and led him somewhat roughly out of the room. So he shall disappear from our sight. No reader will now require to be told that he did not become the husband of Linda Tressel. Madame Starbuck did nothing and said nothing further on the matter that night. Tetchen, indeed, went up to the railway station, and found that Linda had taken a ticket through to Mannheim, and had asked questions there, openly, in reference to the boats from thence down the Rhine. She had with her money sufficient to take her to Cologne, and her aunt endeavoured to comfort herself with thinking that no further evil would come of this journey than the cost, and the rumours it would furnish. As to Peter Steinmark, that was now all over. If Linda would return, no further attempt should be made. Tetchen said nothing on the subject, but she herself was by no means sure that Linda had no partner in her escape. To Tetchen's mind it was so natural that there should be a partner. Early on the following morning, Madame Staubach was closeted with her mulk in the panelled chamber of the house in the Egadienplax, seeking advice. "'Gone again, is she?' said her mulk, holding up his hand. "'And that fellow is with her, of course?' "'No, no, no!' exclaimed Madame Staubach. "'Are you sure of that? At any rate she must marry him now, for nobody else will take her. Peter won't bite again at that bait.' Then Madame Starbuck was compelled to explain that all ideas of matrimony in respect to her niece must be laid aside, and she was driven also to confess that she had persevered too long in regard to Peter Steinmark. "'He certainly is a little rusty for such a young woman as Linda,' said Hermolk, confessing also his part of the fault. At last he counselled Madame Starbuck that she could do nothing but follow her niece to Cologne, as she had before followed her to Augsburg. Such a journey would be very terrible to her. She had not been to Cologne for years, and did not wish to see again those who were there. But she felt that she had no alternative, and she went. End of chapter 16